Welcome on into the Sports Voice, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one place where you can get Northwestern sports analysis. I also think there's a pretty good chance, the way Northwestern's playing, that they go in there to Madison next weekend and they just win the darn thing. We were robbed of how good Selena Lasota was. Can't pull off the miracle, Matt, if you don't get a chance. Wise man once said that. Phenomenal guests. We have our special guest in studio, Lydia Rohde from the Northwestern women's basketball team. And everyone's favorite game, Pickup. He got in to inbound the ball, had a five-second violation, and went right back to the bench. I went with League of Legends. Let me explain. You can't even find it Googling meteor shower on a sports game. The year was 1999. I was four years old. I was playing rec league basketball. We were up by one. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 for the Sports Voice. Good evening, everybody, and welcome on into the Sunday Night Sports Block on WNUR. You're listening to It's a Fake. Now, wait, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, wait, that's not Matt McHugh. Yes, I know. Unfortunately, Matt McHugh has been a victim of the this fantastic weather we've got going on around our the great city of Chicago over this uh, last 24 hours or so, and so Matt can't make it today. Mitt Malik can't make it either, so I've been called in off the practice squad. I'm Tim Hackett, joined by Ari Levin. Thanks a lot for being here, Ari. Uh, biggest story of the weekend, I think, uh, not what happened yesterday on the football field, but what happened on the hard court today, earlier today in Evanston, and then also all the way out in Las Vegas, um, in Fullerton, California, actually, I should say. Somebody told me Las Vegas, and I knew that was wrong. That's where the women will be playing later. But both basketball teams got wins today in resounding fashion. Let's start with the game that you and I were both at in spirit. You were there. I was sitting in the seat that Noah Kaufman is sitting in right now, uh, listening to the game. A resounding win for Northwestern women, 90-64 to over UT Martin, and they start the season 5-0, and a perfect start for Northwestern and a really comprehensive victory today. This was a really good win for Northwe- Northwestern. They went against a team that, they they are better than, but those are teams that Northwestern in the past has failed to close out in games like that, and they dominated every asset of the game. UT Martin, a very up-tempo team, came in to this game averaging 92 points per game, uh, very up-tempo and a full-court press. Northwestern able to easily break that press. They force 20 turnovers of UT Martin, score 40, they score 46 points in the paint, and they dominate in transition, 31 fast-break points, and 55 point or 25 points off of turnovers. That was the difference in this game. And a team in UT Martin that Northwestern played last year, and they only won by eight on the road. So really good to see Northwestern get off to a dominant start. And the story of the game, Jess Sancataldo, the first year from Australia, sharpshooter, puts up 20 points in just 13 minutes, gets some more consistent playing time than she's had, and earning a spot in the rotation, especially with Abby Scheid, another good shooter out for at least this game. I think that's absolutely the biggest takeaway, Ari, that – Jess Sancataldo, out of nowhere, really, 
They put her in in the second half once the game was started to get out of reach again. UT Martin had a, f- a, f- a fine third quarter at times, but the Cats still led by 20 after three. So Joe McCune was able to go to his bench a little bit, kind of probably as he is, as he expected, I'm sure. But just San Cataldo out of nowhere with 20 points all off the bench in 13 minutes, like you said, that led all players. So, you know, loads of other Cats played twice as many minutes as she did. Most of the starters besides Lindsey Pulliam did that. Palace only had to play 22 minutes as well. But regardless, she she led all players with 20 points just completely out of nowhere. And like you said, I think that she's absolutely uh, established herself as good enough to be in this rotation. I, I was not surprised to see her get action at all in, uh, when she came in for the first time. And then she, she looks like she shouldn't leave. Like She's played really, really well in her limited action so far this year. And this is something I was talking with Noah Kaufman about last week after she scored a bunch of points in garbage time um, and against UIC. It's only her third game that she's seen action in, but whether or not she has earned a spot in the rotation, and she's listed as six feet tall, but as a guard, and I think she has to be in that guard role. Um, and that's what Northwestern was doing, putting her on the floor, usually with at least uh, Prowlist or Abby Wolf. Um, Bree Hopkins and Amber Jamison, all of whom play taller than her, letting her just be that guard role, that sharp shooter from outside, and then on defense, running around, causing havoc without having to get too much into any particular defense. Um, but she's very quick and a great shooter, and those are things that Northwestern can absolutely use. And it's just good to have one more player in the rotation, even with the injury. This is about as deep a Northwestern team as we've had in quite some time. I guess that is probably the issue, is that that guard position is so deep. It's great to see her emerge as more than just a contributor, somebody who can actually, more than just a fringe contributor, I should say, somebody who can really actually solidly contribute for the team. But there are so many other players at that guard spot. Of course, Veronica Burton's been out with a, with an injury or an illness, and we haven't seen her in a little while. But there's so many, so many other players that man that guard position. Like you said, Pulliam, Jordan Hamilton, Bertie Gil- Lernick has gotten a lot of run recently, uh, and now you throw in, you know, <laughs> uh, San Cataldo as well. There's there's so many different bodies to get in the mix out there. It's awesome to have that depth, but the question for a team with this, you know, many possible contributors is how do you get all of those players significant minutes in significant games? And what what's happened loud though is for Jordan Hamilton, who was the point guard for just about all of last year. She's moved into more of a shooting guard role push Lindsey Pulliam up to more of a three guard and allow someone else that's more of a true point guard to be the true distributor. Uh, it's been Veronica Burton for the beginning of the season. She's been out with injuries um, in the last three games. But Birdie Galernick has stepped in well. She put up seven assists today, only took four shots in 34 minutes. That's really good. Sydney Wood played the point a lot today. She's definitely an exciting player. Um, the big injury for Northwestern, Abby Scheid, out for today. We was seen with a boot on her foot. Um, Coach Joe McEwen wouldn't add what, how long-term the injury is. We're hoping that it would be a short-term thing, um, If at least for the next few games. Uh, it looks like the lineup Northwestern's rolling out similar to last year with Bree Hopkins filling in mm. that sort of power forward role and then seeing a lot of Abby Wolf, um, Amber Jamison playing a lot of minutes at more of a big role alongside Hopkins, uh, and then, of course, Palace up in the center position. And I think that's worked for Northwestern. They're going with a bit of a smaller look. Uh, they tried towards the end of the game uh, looks that were really small with Hopkins playing in center and guard, 
four guards essentially around her, Jameson, San Cataldo at times. And then she eventually was subbed out for Brooke Peichel, and then everyone on Northwestern's team was six feet or shorter. But that was just the last five minutes when the game was out of hand. Um, but Northwestern, especially against a team like UT Martin, can play like that. And, of course, that's going to have to change against in Big Ten playing against those top teams, of course, like Iowa, Maryland, um, and Michigan, who have those top guards that you're going to have to defend. But in non-conference play against teams like UT Martin, that works really well. Now, I want, I want you to stop me if you think I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I was impressed at how handily Northwestern won this game, especially considering how close the score was last year. You touched on this uh, briefly just a minute ago, but and I talked about this during the halftime show, but it was a close game at half last year, uh, and it took a big fourth quarter, 22-13 to 13 Northwestern, in the fourth quarter last year to win at UT Martin, by eight, 71-63 the final. So the Skyhawks actually led by one going into the fourth quarter last time. They led it half, led by one going into the third into the fourth quarter, I should say. But Northwestern had to come back in the fourth quarter, took a career day from Lydia Rohde, who's of course has since graduated, 22 points on a career-high six three-pointers to lead that uh, comeback charge for Northwestern. But I guess the reason I think I might be getting ahead of myself is that these two teams look totally different than they did last year. Northwestern's top two scorers from that game, Rody and Abby Scheid, were both out. Of course, Rody's graduated, and Scheid, as you said, missed the game with the injury. And then most of UT Martin's top scorers from that game, two out of, or three out of their top four scorers, none of them played today as well. Chelsea Perry is really the only holdover. So I guess I expected the Skyhawks to put up more of a fight than they did based on the game last year, which was always in doubt. It was never a sure thing until the last couple of minutes, perhaps. But uh, aside from maybe a slightly dodgy first quarter today, Northwestern really looked untroubled, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they definitely were able to break the press way easier in this game. Uh, they went on a 16-0 run early in the second quarter, or in the middle of that quarter, where it, they were just able to, the entire time, just get a pass across half court and then just find someone right under the basket that you that the Skyhawks just weren't guarding. And if you look at last year, 22 turnovers, that was what did Northwestern in uh, almost in that game. Uh, and, of course, the and the rebounds, too. That was really before Palish Kunayakpano was getting to where she is now, where she just dominated the glass for the entire game. 16 rebounds in just 22 minutes. And it was Northwestern that was getting the turnovers today. The steals, some bad passes. 20 turnovers by UT Martin, just 14 for Northwestern. And just sound in every asset of the game, other than maybe outside shooting, was the only thing Northwestern struggled throughout the game to get any kind of a jump shot good luck, but they didn't have to because they were able to score so many points in the paint with so much ease. I guess that was going to be my next question, so you took the words out of my mouth, is was there anything that you got to see in person that you were maybe concerned uh, by from the Northwestern performance today. I definitely circled that three-point shooting. They didn't make one in the first half. And San Cataldo was the only person to make a three-point shot. But like you said, they only ended up attempting nine and just made two of them. That's a 22% uh, clip. Not very good, obviously, on a small sample size. Uh, but then, but like you said, they didn't really need to shoot the three because, one, they were winning, and, two, they had so much success down low with players mostly like Palace and you know other players succeeding in the paint. So is that a cause for concern, or is that an anomaly because of the game flow of this game particularly? It's a cause for concern just because it was such an issue last year, the lack of any sort of outside game, which is why it's definitely encouraging to see someone like San Cataldo step up, and hopefully Veronica Burton comes back as well as Abby Shai, so they have those. Lindsey Pulliam, though, 
I mean, there's some struggles from her. She's a streaky shooter always. 3 of 15 today from the floor. She's shooting 37% on this season, which is just not quite where she wants to be when she's hitting those mid-range jumpers. Um, but as a whole for Northwestern, they just need to find someone. Hopefully you get Lauren Satterwhite back so you can also present another option. Um, and I'd like to see them maybe get a little more aggressive. They only took nine three-pointers in this game. And again, they were just having so much ease scoring in the paint. But I would love to see them having the opportunity to get someone hot. And maybe you, I think that's the main reason why someone like Jess Sancataldo might see more minutes is just to provide that balance on offense, get to some outside looks that Northwestern hasn't really been great at this year and we're really struggling with last year. Lindsay Pulliam, very streaky scorer, like you said. I just pulled up her season looks, and she's yet to have you know a middle-of-the-road game. She's had, okay, maybe one average shooting game, two poor shooting games, and two really good shooting games. So she averages double figures over 17 points through five games played. And she's been in 20, she scored more than 20 points three times, 12 today in limited action, but just two, just 20% from the floor, a 3 of 15. Her last two games, she shot better than 55% both times. And then the first two games of the season, she shot under 20% against Green Bay and then a little bit under 30% against Duke. So not terrible on that day for sure. Made all eight of her free throws as, as, she's, uh, normal, as is customary for her. Uh, but I guess that's really kind of what we've begun to see from Pulliam. She's a volume shooter, takes a lot of shots, doesn't always make a whole lot. That kind of that frustrates me a little bit, but you know what you're going to get from her, and she's a really important piece of the team. So I guess you kind of take those misses if as long as they come with some buckets here or there. I mean, that's just kind of her, her game is always going to be that mid-range jumper, and it's a shot that by the numbers is just not a good look, but that's what she does, and that's what Northwestern, I don't want to say settle, but that's just what they have to go with. Um, and so they have to make things work around that. And when you have a day like this, it's really good to see that Northwestern can find other ways to score when their po- probable leading scorer for the season isn't having her best night. Um, but looking ahead on the schedule, uh, Northwestern has a, def- a tough stretch coming up. They have a game against Pitt uh, on Thursday, I believe. Pitt's a struggling team. Northwestern, I would hope, well, should be able to handle that pretty easily, uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers this year. Uh, losses to Wisconsin, Georgetown, and Youngstown State. They're 4-4. Four and four. That should be a game Northwestern can handle, especially at home. But then things get really tough at DePaul, home against Marquette. Those are two of the top teams, top 25 teams. DePaul, uh, both of them really, are uh, tough teams. Marquette coming in 4-1. and one. They lost to Miami, uh, another really good team. They beat UIC uh, yesterday by 64 points. Before that... Jeez going at DePaul <laughs> for Northwestern. This is probably the toughest match. DePaul hung tough with Notre Dame, the number one team in the country. They lost to Syracuse in overtime in a great game. So there's three and two. Both of those are going to be huge tests for the Wildcats. Didn't DePaul put, like, give up 100 points to Notre Dame, though? Yeah, uh, so the final score was 101 to 77. Jeez. I think they were winning at half, though. Are these that's well. <laughs> it was close for a long time. I was watching. Pitt's game just went final 78 to 56 against Tennessee State. Uh, Pitt had four or so players in double figures there, so now the Panthers are 4 and 4. Their next game is here against Northwestern on Thursday. We'll have the call for you right here on WNUR. The other basketball team on campus will play next at home on Wednesday. They finished their trip out west earlier this afternoon with a 79 to 57 win against Utah. I remember when Utah was good, not so good right now. Northwestern finished the game on a 12-2 run. Utah did not score over the final two minutes. 
Northwestern had four different players in double figures. Ryan Taylor was just one of eight from deep and still managed to put up 14 points. Vic Law had had 19 on 7 of 14 shooting. Derek Parton added 15, and Anthony Gaines added 11. Northwestern, as a team, shot just a tick under 51%, and Utah shot 46, and the Cats shot 48% from three-point land, which is a pretty remarkable percentage for that team, especially, like we said, with Ryan Taylor only going one of eight, usually the team's most reliable, most consistent deep threat. Northwestern, after a the men's team, after perhaps a poor performance against Fresno State to kick off this Wooden Legacy Tournament on Wednesday, then beat LaSalle handily, a team that Northwestern's used to, put up 91 in that game, and then 79 today against Utah. Their next match is home against Georgia Tech, part of that ACC Big Ten Challenge here at Welshrine Arena in Evanston on Wednesday, and we'll have coverage for that of that for you as well right here on WNUR. We're going to take a quick break on It's a Fake. When we come back, we'll talk about some other things happening on in Northwestern and beyond. This is the Sunday Night Sports Block on WNUR. the sports voice but how about sports voice after dark if you can't get enough of dubbing your sports on the air the sports voice after dark podcast has you covered pour another one out for the yeah. fact that alexei ramirez was negative two wins <laughs> by simply being himself with some questionable takes anquan bolden sneaky pick for uh offensive mvp this year and some that are borderline prophetic. He, it could light a fire under. I could like I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers went six and two and went ten and six to win this division. Subscribe to WNUR Sports on iTunes or SoundCloud to have the best hour of sports podcasting delivered to you every week. Sports Voice After Dark. Welcome back to It's a Fake on WNUR Sports along with Ari Levin. I'm Tim Hackett filling in for Matt and Amit this weekend. And you'll forgive me, Ari, if I'm a little bit distracted this evening. A couple of things on my mind. There's a football game tonight on NBC that I unfortunately will be, you know, twisting some of my antenna towards. Not really excited about that. Uh, But elsewhere... Later tonight on ESPNU. More importantly, yeah, some would say. Exactly. More importantly, uh, hopefully to many people across the country, the NCAA Women's Volleyball Selection Show is tonight. It's at 7.30. I'm very excited for that. I'll probably be watching it a little bit out of the corner of my eye over the next hour or so. Uh, and then after that, after the NCAA Division One bracket is revealed by the NCAA, the NIVC in its re- second year of its reincarnation will reveal its bracket. It's expected to have 32 teams. It already has seven automatic qualifiers. We'll see that, you know, you, I might I bring that up and you're probably listening thinking, what the heck is that? It's basically the NIT for volleyball. It existed for about 12 or 15 years in the 80s and 90s and then kind of died out, and it's recently been reborn as the interest in volleyball has kind of taken on uh, some new life across the country, and they say their stated goal is to you know, provide some exposure and some opportunities for not lesser teams. They don't use that word, but I'm going to use that word. Lesser teams in big conferences and other teams in smaller conferences to get extra playing time, to get extra practices, to get extra chances to play meaningful games. I think that's very valuable. 
um, especially for this sport as it continues to grow and hopefully more people continue to watch it. Uh, we'll see. Well, I hope that's the case this year. The NIVC will be announced a little bit later tonight. The only reason I bring that up is there is a chance that Northwestern is el- – there is no there's 100% chance they're eligible for that tournament. Let's get that out of the way. And there's a chance that they accept a bid to that tournament. I don't want to you know, talk about too much about if they will go because I have absolutely no idea, and it doesn't really seem like most people do have any idea if Northwestern will go to the NIVC there's every chance I think that they're offered a bid. They have the requisite qualifications. They have an RPI in the 60s that's not going to qualify you for the major tournament. They don't really have any quality wins, so there's no reason at all they should be in the big tournament. But with a 500 record, that's what they needed. They got a win on Friday to become 500 for the first time under Shane Davis, so they're eligible for the postseason. They have a decent enough RPI. They play in the best conference in the country. I don't think, Ari, there's any reason they shouldn't be considered. It's just up to them if they want to go or not. Well, it'll be interesting to see later on tonight. In terms of the NCAA tournament, it looks like seven Big Ten teams, the obvious top seven, should be in, and it doesn't look like there's any other ones. Maybe Maryland is right on that bubble. Um, But in terms of the NIVC, we've talked about this. I think it would be a great opportunity for Northwestern to have that kind of play, get themselves prepared, because I do think they're, they're one year away, maybe two, from being in the tournament, and if you can get that kind of experience. But it seems like that's just not a landing spot for Big Ten, Pac-12 schools. Um, but I think it'd be a good opportunity. Unofficial, there's no official RPI published. Unofficially, it looks like Northwestern 71, so right around where that could be. Um, but, yeah, so let's look at the tournament bracket a bit and where we think things might go down in about 10 minutes. Let's do it. Uh, you just you just showed me the top overall seeds have been announced. This has been a topic of debate around the volleyball world for the last week or so. The big story, of course, across the country two weeks ago was BYU suffered its first loss of the season at the hands of Loyola Marymount. It was 27-0 and before that game. So now BYU has one loss. They were the number one team in the country before that in terms of the coaches' poll, uh, five in terms of RPI. Uh, so that was the first big issue, or the first big topic of debate. The second big topic of debate was on Friday, right after Northwestern's game against Indiana went final. Minnesota was playing Penn State in Minnesota with an opportunity to go undefeated in the Big Ten. That hasn't happened since 2009 when Penn State did that as part of their absolute dynasty in the late 2000s, early 2010s. They went undefeated in 2008 and 2009 and beat Minnesota in five sets to stop the Gophers from going uh, undefeated in conference play. And, of course, Minnesota went back out the next night and beat Rutgers in three sets. Probably very mad. Poor Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> absolutely no chance in a situation like that. I feel awful. Uh, but them's the breaks when you play a team like Minnesota. And then, of course, the next day, Wisconsin, which had dispatched Rutgers in straight sets on Friday, went down to Penn State and played Penn State then. And then Wisconsin beat Penn State in five sets. So it's absolute craziness as per usual in the Big Ten. All that is to say... BYU's loss and Minnesota's loss, the questions abounded, who should be the top four seeds, the the four number one seeds in the bracket, and those were just released a couple of minutes ago as a tease for the rest of the selection show to start off in about five minutes. Um, so what I got from that is that Rutgers uh, did not get a win, and they will likely not be <laughs> a one seed and not in the tournament. That, but that, that is if to you say are wondering, yes. <laughs> the top four seeds in alphabetical order are BYU, Illinois, Minnesota, and Stanford. That's likely the reverse order from yeah. four to one. This is just alphabetical order. Um, so that leaves out Texas, 
uh, likely that five seed. So this potentially has big implication on who would host a Final Four matchup. We were talking about this earlier today. So the big implications there. And then the other question in terms of hosting is the top 16 seeds. And it looks like you would think that uh, other than Minnesota and Illinois, um, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Penn State should all be right there in those top 10. The question is whether Michigan and Purdue, the other two likely Big Ten tournament teams, get those top 16 or if they're right on the outside looking in there and maybe have to go on the road in a Sweet 16. I guess the last thing to talk about in terms of the Big Ten is that this might be a down year for the conference. They've had as many as nine teams in the Big Dance over the last few years, but Michigan State poor this year, Iowa on the outside of the bubble, Maryland perhaps on the bubble. I'm surprised I'm even saying that, but you're correct with that assessment, Ari. Ohio State all the way down. Exactly. Ohio State not very good at all this year. They just lost to Iowa on the last day of the season. And no Rutgers, unfortunately. One conference win since joining the Big Ten, though they were close. They got Michigan State to five a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah, probably only seven Big Ten teams in the tournament this year, which I guess would constitute a down year. It's also been a down year for the Pac-12, Stanford, Quite probably the best team in the country. Minnesota might have some arguments against that, but Stanford certainly can make its claim. Uh, and then outside of that, the the Pac-12 isn't that great this year. I'm surprised to say that USC is good, no doubt. Washington is good, no doubt. Washington State is all right. I think Oregon is pretty good, um, but I don't think any of those are legitimate national title teams. One or One or two of those should make a Sweet 16, but... Outside of that, I think it's a down year for the best two conferences in the country, which has allowed a team like BYU and a team like Pitt out of the ACC, which was perfect for a long time this year before they played Duke on the road, teams like that out of quote-unquote lesser conferences to make, a, to make a stand in the regular season and hopefully for them make a push once the tournament comes. Uh, so before we wrap things up, any bubble teams that you're looking for in this Ooh. tournament? The one I'll go with is Loyola Marymount, who sure? has... One of the biggest wins in the country now. Um, let's try to pull up their overall record, but looking at some of their schedule, some good wins at the beginning of the year, a good win at Kansas, a win at St. Mary's, uh, so actually two wins against St. Mary's, um, some losses on their schedule, good losses, BYU, uh, a loss to Pacific, not the best loss, but I think that's a team right on the bubble, and they definitely helped their case quite a bit with what they did last week. Completely agreed. Uh, that's definitely it's a bubble so, team. Uh, here we go. Twenty and nine overall, ten and eight in conference. Um, so they lost, got swept by Pepperdine before sweeping against BYU. Um, a five set loss to Gonzaga. Uh, all of those over the last week, and then swept at Pacific might be the one thing holding them back a bit. Yeah, Pacific has been good in the past, but not that great right now. They had a couple of players leave over the last few years and transfer to bigger schools. Uh, Duke and Illinois spring to mind. Both of those teams have former players from the Pacific. Illinois' coach is, of course, a former member of the University of the Pacific. Chris Thomas was a standout when he was a player there. Uh, But the WCC, like you said, is actually a really good volleyball conference, spearheaded by BYU, of course. But St. Mary's is always really solid. And then Marymount in there as well. Pepperdine in the top 50 of the RPI or thereabouts. uh, thereabouts, Both St. Mary's and Pepperdine likely to at least be on the bubble for the tournament. We'll see. It's tough to be outside of a major conference like we see in other sports. Um, But, yeah, I guess let me answer your question. I think out of the – out of the major teams, uh, out of the major conferences, other schools that I'm looking at that are on the bubble around 50 in RPI probably will get into the tournament. I'm not sure about that, though. So if they do, 
I, li- I like Colorado and Duke, who were f- uh, both top 50 in RPI before this week. I think those are both teams that have the ability to win games in the tournament. Neither of them will go very far, and it depends on their matchups, but I do think Colorado and Duke are capable of winning a game or two. All right, that's going to do it for It's a Fake. I hope we didn't fake you out too much by not having Matt or Mitt on the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been listening, we're going to take a quick break on the Sunday Night Sports Block, and after that, it's time for Stats are for Losers. Hope you don't go anywhere because you get an extra 30 minutes of listening to me talk to you about sports right after this on WNUR. Welcome on into the sports voice, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one place where you can get Northwestern sports analysis. I also think there's a pretty good chance the way Northwestern's playing that they go in there to Madison next weekend and they just win the darn thing. We were robbed of how good Selena Lasota was. Can't pull off the miracle, Matt, if you don't get a chance. Wise man once said that. Phenomenal guests. We have our special guest in studio, Lydia Rohde from the Northwestern women's basketball team. And everyone's favorite game, Pickup. He got in to inbound the ball, had a five-second violation and went...